Thank you. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians if you're not already there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And then hold your place there and turn back to the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 1. And any time we read the scripture, it's important and helpful to understand what's being said by a context. The word context means who is writing, who are they writing to, what are they writing about, what is going on at that time in history. Because a lot of things happened that we don't, you know, they didn't have, I was teasing to say, they sent them a text, they didn't have text. So you have to, we have to go back and think of that a little bit. That helps us understand what's going on. So Paul is writing to a church. He's not writing to a building. Churches are not buildings. I think this church, as many others would know, you don't have to have a building to be a church. I see four or five smiles, the rest of me, it's okay to smile at me. <clears throat> Meaning we didn't have one when we first started, we still had a church. Now we got both. The bad news is you got the payment to go with the building. That's the bad news. Anyway, Paul is writing to a church that actually existed in the city of Corinth many years ago. And so Paul is not just not writing like, you know, a letter to, he's writing under Holy Spirit inspiration. And it so happens God has preserved what he wrote for us. So God inspired him to write it, and he preserved it for us today in 2021. So it's relevant. Now, I know we're not the church at court. We're the church of Maslin. I understand all that. <clears throat> but what he's going to say is, is relevant to believers today. So look at chapter 1 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul. That's the guy that was saved. His name was Saul. His name is changed to Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul said he was the 13th apostle. You know, Judas hung himself, they had 12, so he, he claims he's the 13th. By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, notice, unto the church of God. He didn't mean the church of God. The church of God is a denomination in our country. And I've heard it said many times, they say the church of God. And that's where they get, see, we get our name from the Bible. It means a church that belongs to God. The church, but as Paul said, I'm writing to the church of God, which belongs to him, which is at Corinth. Now, that's pretty simple. Now, the thing about the Corinthian church, in four simple words, and then I'll elaborate, they were a mess. As you read through your Bible reading every year, and you get the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they were getting intoxicated at the Lord's Supper. Now, we've never had that here. Don't plan to have it. <clears throat> Go back and read it. They were all messed up on doctrine, much of the doctrine today by many of the pro-Pentecostal churches, so the doctrine, these people had that. They were speaking with tongues. Uh, listen, most of us have enough trouble with English, and that's a whole other message for another day, but tongues in the Bible is languages. So they had a problem with morality in the church. Now the church isn't perfect people, we know that. But they're having big problems, big morality problems and doctrine problems. They were a mess. 
And by the way, if you know your New Testament, Paul wrote to them two letters. Now, the end of the church he wrote to, as I remember, two letters was the church at Thessalonica. But if you look at the volume of the amount that he wrote in his letter to them, it's small compared to 1 Corinthians. What I'm trying to say is they had so many problems, Paul was trying to straighten them out. It just so happens it's part of the scriptures. God has preserved it for us here even today. And so look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is his second letter. It is my opinion, that's all it is. I think he realized he didn't straighten them out with the first letter, so he sent him another one. That's just my opinion. Then the Lord still inspired him and led him, but look at verse, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. Oh, ye Corinthians, our mouth, meaning Paul and Timothy, our mouth is wide open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straight in us, but ye are straight in your own bowels. Now for recompensing the same, if I, same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Isn't the Bible hard to understand? It's so hard, it's scary, isn't it? That, by the way, it doesn't mean just in marriage. I think it means business associations. Don't go into business with somebody who's not saved because you're going to get to the church and he doesn't want to. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? That's pretty plain. And what communion hath the light with darkness? And what conquered or agreement hath Christ with Belial, Belial's a false god, that they knew of? We don't know Belial, but they knew Belial. They knew of Belial, I should say. He's not a real god, he's a false god. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You see, as a safe person, you're, filled, you're sealed with the Spirit of God. He says... They don't agree. They don't go together. For ye are the temple of the living God. If you're saved today, you are the temple of the living God. He lives in you. He abides in you. He leads you if you let him lead you. He convicts you. He comforts you. All those things. He helps you understand his word. You're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people Verse 17, wherefore, that means he's summing up all the stuff he just said. Come out from among them, them who? The infidels, the unbelievers, the world. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I want to share a few thoughts from Paul's thoughts to these people to us in 2021. The Bible is up to date as the Canton Repository without the Kmart ads or whatever this is. I only looked at it briefly this morning. I don't think we have, we don't have Kmart and Masson anymore. So we don't have Kmart ads, but I used to love the Kmart ads. <clears throat> now we have to go to Walmart, which is all right. I go to Walmart if you need some. So this church, now what about the city of Corinth itself outside of the church? What kind of a city was it? It was a mess. 
And can I say this truthfully but kindly? Because I live in Maslin. Because I got annexed. I wasn't Perry, I got annexed. What kind of city is Maslin outside the walls of the church? I think if you would be honest this morning, you would say it's a mess. The point is, the city of Corinth where these believers lived and functioned and worked and had their everyday living, I believe, maybe not exactly, but very similar to the city we live in and nation we live in. So how appropriate and timely. And people say the Bible's not up to date. People that say that are telling me they don't read it. You don't have to understand Greek to read the Bible or Hebrew. <clears throat> common sense goes a long way. You know what? We don't have common sense today in America. Present company accepted. Wasn't that a good save? <laughs> common sense has gone out the window, isn't it? Just plain old common sense. People don't have it. What's sad to say when Christians don't have common sense? <clears throat> now, it would seem that when Paul wrote to these people, he, just, he wasn't mad. He was trying to help them. And it would seem that they had a problem. Why would he write about something that didn't exist? It would be kind of foolish, wouldn't it? We would say a waste of pen and paper. So they had a problem, and I think we have a problem today. And so I want to speak <clears throat> what Paul talked to these people about, and that's the matter of biblical separation. What is separation? Now, separation doesn't mean I'm separating five feet so I don't get the COVID. That's not what we're talking about. And if you feel that way, that's fine, and, and you can wear a mask. It's not a problem. We don't have a problem with that. If you want to separate, we got enough room. You could do that. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about separation from the world. And so separation is not a subject that you hear a lot about preaching today. I guarantee you that most of the preachers on TV do not preach on separation. You know why? Because it's not pleasant. It's not. Let me rephrase that. Take that word back. It's not, it's, well, it isn't pleasant. It's not popular. And they want people to send money and come to their church and get bigger and bigger, which I'm for every church that's good. They go bigger and bigger, but they don't preach on it. And what little preaching is giving on it, many times on this subject, is often so vague that no one's sure what the preacher's talking about or where he stands on specifics. And if he does name specifics, they say he's a legalist. So I hope you listen to this entire message because it all fits together. <clears throat> or they'll say the preacher just wants to run your life. You know what? <clears throat> I cannot run your life. And I'm not even going to try because I have tried it for a couple times. It don't work. And in plain, simple words, people do what they want to do. Unfortunately, even Christians do what they want to do outside of the word of God. I've sat down with Christians. Here's what God's word says. And they don't say the words because they know I'll get them. They say, they smile at me, basically saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I say, go right ahead. Have a nice day. And then when you have problems, don't come whining to me. That's what I think. Neither one of us say the words. They don't say it to me. And I don't say, damn, that's what I'm thinking. Go right ahead. Have a nice day. Bye. See you. Don't want to be you. <laughs> that's an occupational hazard of being a pastor. People want you to agree with them. What you decide to do with the preacher says, no, this is what God's word says, and they get ripping mad at you. I've experienced that more than once. It's unpleasant. We as believers are not to be isolationists. Now listen carefully to this entire message. 
If you're at home listening, listen to the whole thing. Don't, don't turn it off in the middle because you don't get the whole gist. You've got to get the whole piece of pie. By the way, I ate three pieces of apple pie this week. Boy, were they good. At the same time, that's got nothing to do with message. I was going to eat one, and I said, you know, you shouldn't leave two pieces of pie in that thing. And, of course, nobody was around. So I said to myself, you know what? That was really good apple pie. I think I'm going to eat two. And when I ate the second one, I said, you know what? That was really good. I'm going to eat the third one. And I want to tell you, I did not gain weight. So it must have been dietetic stuff. That's got nothing to do with this. Oh, an isolationist. We're not talking about being isolationist. Sometimes people don't listen to the word of God and to the preacher. I am not talking about being an isolationist. Think with me for just a minute. Were the disciples isolationists? Didn't Jesus tell them to go to all the world and preach the gospel? How could you be an isolationist and do that? Was Paul, the guy who wrote this, was he telling them to be isolationists? No. Was he an isolationist? That guy was preaching, going, witnessing, doing God's work. He was not an isolationist. By the way, didn't Jesus, was Jesus an isolationist? Was Jesus an isolationist? I got it out. The answer is no. The Bible even says he went about doing good. So he was, he was going, like going. I think the apostle Paul was following his example. <clears throat> and wasn't it Jesus? Yes, it was. It said, you're to be salt and light to his disciples. Now, how are you going to be salt and light if you're an isolationist? We have to take that admonition of scriptures that we're in the world, but not of it. Of its philosophy, of its thinking of how they think about things. Because for the most part, what they say is diametrically opposed to the word of God. If you know anything about the Bible and you listen to TV and stuff and watch, watch programs, listen, read the newspaper, the world is so diametrically opposed and it's getting worse <clears throat> to the Bible, which to me is part of common sense, <clears throat> which they don't have. Did you see Ohio? No, I'm throwing this one in. This is not in my notes. You see that on the news this week, the state of Ohio is going to allow you to change your birth certificate for a different gender if you want to be something else. Way! I'm stopping right there. Common sense. If you don't know if you're a boy or girl, we'll take two guys in the bathroom. We'll help you know. That sounds kind of gross, but it's about that simple, isn't it? We have men's restrooms and ladies' restrooms because they're different. Now I'm going to get off here. <clears throat> so Jesus said we're to be salt and light. How's it going to have the effect if we're not among the people? So I want you to think with me for just a few minutes. One thing, separation insulates you from the world. Separation insulates you and me as a Christian from the world. The most important reason for biblical separation is to protect you from the influence and defilement of the world. Now, let me give you an Old Testament example of something I think that is a principle that I think applies here. It, don't turn there. The book of Haggai, you probably don't turn there too much anyway. I've preached on that. It's got some good stuff in it. In Haggai chapter 2, God himself engages a conversation with the priests of that day, the spiritual leaders, if you will. In a question and answer period. And I'm 
I'm putting this in layman's terms and so we can understand. We're talking about separation. We're talking about Paul and Court. We're talking about us and Maslin. These priests were not taking the law of ceremonial separation very seriously. And so the Lord God explained to them why those laws were in place. The first question that God asked in essence was, can a holy thing touch a neutral thing and make it holy? The obvious answer is no. The next question God posed to them was whether an unholy thing touching a neutral thing made it, un made it unholy. This time the answer is yes. If a person touched the high priestly garments and he did not become holy because he touched those garments, you can touch my suit and shake, well, don't shake my hand. You can touch my suit. It ain't going to do nothing for you. Except if I got something on it, you might get it on you. It ain't going to make you holy. I'm just like everybody else. But that's the way they thought of things. If you touched a dead carcass, you were considered unholy, which common sense would tell you not to do that. But again, maybe they didn't have common sense either. But God declared you to be unholy if you did that. Are you listening? The lesson from Haggai is clear because the principle throughout the word of God, the holy does not sanctify the unholy. But the unholy does corrupt the holy. It's real simple. Whenever you bring the holy and unholy together, the unholy always affects the holy. <clears throat> if a sick person and healthy person get together, do not expect the good health of the one person to carry over to the other person. Matter of fact, it's the opposite, right? We experienced that a lot this last year, huh? My granddaughter's so funny, every time she calls, she goes, like, she last me, you got COVID. Because she's, she's, she's 10 years old, what do you expect? And I laugh and she laughs and she doesn't mean anything by it. Now if an adult said that, I'd be thinking twice, but she's just goofing around. <clears throat> but the sick person does not get healthy by being around a healthy person. That's common sense. Rather, the healthy person will get sick by being around a sick person. One bad apple in a bushel of good apples will not lose its rottenness by the influence of the good apples. That's common sense. Instead, soon all the apples will be rotten. Mix a glass of water, clean water, and a glass of dirty water, and you'll have a glass of dirty water. Common sense? The dirty water is not purified by mixing with the clean water. The clean water is defiled by mixing with the dirty water. The Bible says it this way. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You ever read that? Another place, well, this is not a Bible verse. You are who you hang around. David said, I'm a companion of all them that fear thy name. That's his people supposed to be your friends. If they don't fear the Lord, sorry. Now you don't ever talk to them again, throw them in the trash heap, be mean and ugly. That's so isolation. Well, I can't be around you because you, you understand there's a balance. <clears throat> Jesus was friends with sinners. How about the woman taking adultery at the well? He didn't say, oh, I'm holy. You're, you're, lady, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with is not your husband. 
I'm not going to talk to you. He didn't say that, did he? As a matter of fact, I'm going to use my term, those gas bag men of the town said, hey, this woman's we caught her in the act committing adultery. They were probably worse in here than that woman. And by the way, what did Jesus say to the woman in John? Neither do I condemn thee. If anybody had a right to condemn her, it's not those self-righteous gas bag men. It was Jesus. If he, he condemned her, we'd say, okay, he's right. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So I think he had the balance, didn't he? We need to have that. <clears throat> Talking about separation. Good never makes evil better. Evil always defiles good. The dirty pollutes the clean. The unholy corrupts the holy. The impure defiles the pure. And the ungodly perverts the godly. This is the reason why you should never marry an unsafe person. Now, if you are married to one right now, we will help you pray to you. We went into the Lord. But don't start up. Those of you who aren't married yet. Oh, I got to get married. You do? You may be sorry if you marry the wrong rascal. And I say that kindly, but sometimes people say, Oh, I don't care what the ball I'm going to I'm going to change this guy. You know what? You ain't going to change him. Matter of fact, he's going to get worse. So mark it down. He's not going to throw his clothes at dirty clothes. He's going to throw them all over the house. He is going to burp at the dinner table. I better stop right there. Oh, I'm going to change him. Only God can change people's hearts. So don't marry an unsafe person. And preachers have preached that for years, and people say, yeah, he did. he's an old man. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's God's word. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, verse 14. It means marriage. It means business. It means everything. Yokes. You know what a yoke? Snow White's brother was egg white. Get the yoke. <clears throat> a yoke. We don't know what a yoke is because we don't use them. That's where they put the animals together to plow the field. We, we do almost all this Thomas tractors with air conditioning and headphones, and we're really suffering, aren't we? Well, the rich farmers have those, I guess. But they had a yoke. Maybe our Amish friends, they have yokes. Many times it was two of them that were hooked together to do the job, so he said, don't be yoked with an unbeliever. We're talking about separation. And if you want to serve the Lord, your life is going to take a big turn for the wrong. And if you happen, if he happens to get saved, praise the Lord. But you know what? I've been around a couple times. That's usually not what happens. Now, are there exceptions? Of course, there's all exceptions. I'm going to be the exception. Come where you. You know, that's not common sense. You're not going to be the exception. Separation. You'll want to go to church and say, I'm going to stay home and watch the Browns lose. Notice how I said that? <laughs> That's really encouraging. Watch the Browns lose. <clears throat> That's common sense. <laughs> anyway, we should also, parents, shelter our children from the world and restrict who their friends are. I remember my mother said, I don't want you to run that kid. I'm thinking, you're to myself. I never said it out loud because I would suffer the consequences. I'm thinking, you don't even know this kid. I think he's a cool guy. She knew something I didn't know. Don't hang around that kid. You're going to get in trouble. Parents, are you with me? <clears throat> Restrict who their friends are. Why you should be careful who your golfing buddies are. That's a little more practical, huh? <clears throat> Why you should re reevaluate constantly your music, 
your entertainment, your friends, your reading materials, internet, content, etc. We're talking about separation. We're talking about God's people being separated. The world has no idea what we're talking about. <clears throat> Secondly, separation identifies you as being different. The New Testament says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. People say, yeah, you're, they use the word weird. You're weird. Yeah, I think they're weird too. I can go to bed and go to sleep. I don't have to worry about getting sick because I've been drinking all night. <clears throat> this, is, this is right down where it is. I don't have to worry about throwing up. That doesn't sound good in church, but it's true. Because you've been drinking too much and wasting your money. And your family doesn't have what they need because you blew your money. I know what I'm talking about. Not from experience, but from dealing with people. <clears throat> yes, let them, let them call you a weirdsmobile. Whose life is better? Remember, sticks and stones may break my bones, the words will never hurt me. <clears throat> oh, you're so weird then maybe they'll leave you alone. The child of God is to be different from this world and separated. And separation is how this distinction is made known. Of course, <clears throat> the desire of the compromiser of the day is to blur the lines for all to come together for the sake of unity. We have that even in the Christian world today. Can't you see how it's leading up to the one world church? You don't have to be a theologian to figure that out. Well, we're going to blur these lines of doctrine. <clears throat> We're going to blur this and blur that. We're all the same. No, we're not. Doctrine is important. Jesus said doctrine separates. And so I'm talking about, talking about being ugly about it. I'm just saying it's a fact. You read through the book of Acts and study the testimony of the first century Christians, and you'll see they didn't care one bit about unity with the world. I think this Corinthian church had a little bit of a problem, so Paul wrote to, to straighten them out. Now, what did they do in response to Paul's letter? Oh, did they do it? I don't know if I can definitively say, but they got it. It's funny how people know the Bible when they have a verse they want to use to, to justify what they're doing. All drunkards know Paul's words to Timothy, drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake and often infirmities. How many times people quote this say, what about all these other, wine is a mocker, Proverbs 29, and strong drinking, <clears throat> Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And the Bible's full of verses against it. So what's Paul trying to say? <clears throat> Do you know there's alcohol in your cough medicine? Some people get high in cough medicine. It's kind of expensive. That's the, a little wine for thy stomach's sake. That's another, that's another message. But people come up with these verses. And they've tried them on me and maybe on you. They'll say, see this verse? They take one verse out of a whole Bible. One verse. And they, to justify their sin and what they're doing, or what they're trying to do. Uh, one of the verses that people used to say, well, we don't need to be separate as, as believers. One of the verses they use is, is uh, well, you know, let me see it here. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. That's the story of David when David was chosen king. But you know what? They interpret that to mean that God doesn't care what the outside looks like as long as your heart is right. But that's not what God's saying. <clears throat> God is saying he's not interested in the outward. In the sense of appearance at that point, because 
David was going to be the king, and he was just a little tiny guy. And the Bible says he was ruddy. I think it means he had red cheeks. He was just a little kid. <clears throat> and the preacher said, oh, not him. And God said, don't look on the outward appearance. That's the context. It's important to have context. <clears throat> the point is that God is not fooled by outward appearance. We are sometimes. Because somebody comes to church and looks good, don't mean this is good. God looks on the heart. And by the way, none of us can look on somebody else's heart. I know people try it. I'm amazed at people say, I know what you're thinking, Pastor. So it's good because I don't know what I'm thinking myself. What do you, how do you mean you know what I'm thinking? How do you know what's in here? I've said this before at least a hundred times. It's a full-time job to keep your own heart right. Don't worry about anybody else's. Our hypocrisy and veneer don't fool God. Um, I think another verse they use, and I'll just I'll read it to you. You can write it down. First Corinthians nine. This is the first letter of Paul to this church. These people, remember, they were riddled with problems. But then Paul says something here in chapter nine, and verse twenty-two, the last part of the verse. Paul says to these people, same people he's talking about in our text. I, 1 Corinthians 9, 22, the last part of the verse, Paul, I, Paul, am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I've heard that one all my life. I become all things to all men. I immediately say, you mean to win a drunk, you get drunk? To win a prostitute, you become a prostitute? I'm talking plain English today. To win a drug person, I take drugs? In common sense. What did Paul mean by that? Well, let's go down just a little bit farther. Look down, look, look down, look down to, or look back, or look ahead, I should say, to verse 19, verse, back, look back to verse 19. Though I be free from all men, yet I have obeyed myself servant unto all, that I might gain, gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew. Now, wait a minute, he was one. Are you listening? What does he mean? That I might gain the Jews. What do you mean gain them? Make buddies out of them? Or win them to Christ? To them that are under the law is under the law. That's the Jews. That I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law. That would be the Gentiles. To them. As without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Verse 22 is the first part. To the weak become I as weak, so that I might gain the weak. Verse 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake. He wasn't trying to make friends and influence people so they would understand and get the gospel that I might be partaken there with you. So what's he, what's he, what's he mean there? I become all things to all men. Well, if he's around a Jew, he doesn't talk about Gentile stuff. Common sense. And since he was a Jew, in other words, he could approach a Jew from a logical, intelligent point of view. So when he's talking to a Jew, that's how he conducts himself. Now when he's to a Gentile, he handles the way he approaches them about the gospel differently. You know, it's just common sense. I've told the story about a man, it was, in, it was actually in May of 1978, so it was a couple of years ago. And I went to his house and, and he was lost. But he, in his living room, he had deer heads all over the living room, ladies. I mean, they were plastered. So I walked in the house. I'd never been in this house before. 
common sense told me, this guy's a deer hunter. So you know how I approached him with the gospel? I got him talking about deer, and the guy didn't shut up. I'm, I'm bored to death. I don't hunt deer. I don't even hunt. We'll hunt for stuff at Walmart because they keep changing where they put stuff. But I don't hunt. My goal was to give this man the gospel he'd be saved. That was my goal. I could care less about his deer heads. I could care less about hunting deer. I listened intently. He was going, I don't even know what he was saying. Because I don't know. I'm, I'm ignorant about that. Finally, he shut up. And I said, Scott, and he was older than me. He was an adult man. He said, I said, Scott, I came tonight because I want to talk to you about the crowd. I gave him the gospel. And you know what? Scott got saved. <clears throat> I become all things to all men. By the way, I baptized him too. I become all things to all men by that I might gain some. That's what Paul was saying. You don't have to be like them to win them. Now, don't be rude and ugly about it. <clears throat> you know, you go in somebody's house and they're doing something that maybe is not appropriate. If you're in somebody else's house, keep your mouth shut. Now, if you're at your house, that's a different story. We don't have a lot of that stuff here. Have a nice day. Goodbye, see ya. Don't want to be ya. But if you're at somebody else's house, don't be preaching at them, screaming, holler. Oh, that TV's too loud. Don't you know there's garbage on TV? Anybody who has any common sense knows there's garbage on TV. <clears throat> but there's also the Indians, which they're borderline garbage sometimes. <clears throat> sometimes. God is concerned about the outward because of the reflection of the inward. I'm going to say this, and this is going to be special. No, I don't think I will. I changed my mind. Maybe the Holy Spirit should don't say that. <clears throat> so I won't, Holy Spirit. Do you know how you tell the difference between a Christian and the world? <clears throat> the same way you tell the difference between a, <clears throat> a cow and a horse. Now, again, this is common sense. You know the difference between a horse and a cow. Some people don't. <clears throat> Cows look different than horses. Common sense. They make different noises than horses. Common sense. <clears throat> I was not raised in a farm. If you were, then more blessings to you. But I, don't, I don't know this stuff from experience. I read in books. I see it on the animal planet. They just make different noises. And cows hang around other cows. And horses hang around other horses. Isn't this deep? They hang around those of their own kind. If you see an animal that looks like a cow, moves like a cow, and hangs around other cows, there's a good chance they're a cow. Isn't this deep? It's common sense. If you see a creature that looks just like this world, that acts just like this world, I mean the unsaved world, who talks just like this world, hangs around all the people of the world, it could be they're worldly. Common sense. You can tell what branch of military a person's in by the uniform they wear. You don't say, oh, I wonder what branch they belong to. You know. You can tell a police officer by the uniform they wear you can tell who is the opposing team on the sports field. I was going to say football. Football, baseball, whatever. By the uniform they wear. 
By the way, for those of you who don't know, the opposing team in baseball, the non-home team wears the ugly uniforms. The home team wears the nice ones. At least that's the way it's supposed to be in football, too. It's supposed to be that way. But you can tell who's the home team who's not the home team. Sadly, there are too many Christians who want to wear the uniform of the opposing team. John said this in 1 John. Let me just read it to you. The key book of the book of John is fellowship with God. And he said in chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So if we're going to have our fellowship with God, we've got to be careful not to love them. Now, somebody says, what about John 3.16? I love these people that are always like to argue. What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world, he loves the people. He doesn't love the system. He died for people, not for the system. He didn't die for American democracy. I'm glad we have it. But he didn't die for that. He died for people. It's people have souls. He died to save mankind. But we're not supposed to love the world. We're supposed to love people like Jesus did, like the woman at the well and others. But we're not supposed to love the world. Now, he didn't say you can't have a house. Make sure you have the house and have you. Some people, oh, their house is like they're the king and it's their kingdom. And though it's, they're all that. Are you with me? Thinking, those are today's words. They're all that. <laughs> you know what? It's, now, don't live in a shack and be a trash picker either. But on the other hand, I've been to the houses. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Okay, I won't say that. <clears throat> Just because your house is going to burn up in the day of judgment is no reason not to take care of it or mow your grass. Next. But don't love it. Oh, I love my yard. Really? Are you crazy? Oh, I love my house. Now, I like my house, but you know what? It doesn't have me. I have it. Or whatever. The, whatever the, we going through cars and possess, things of the world. I have a microwave. I don't love my microwave, but I guarantee I use it. It's really good to heat up coffee. I did it this morning. It worked really great. No, I didn't love the coffee or the microwave. And I'm not going to be stupid, so bless God, I'm not going to use that. I don't see a verse for that one. Now, when I start loving the microwave, you say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. It is. But Christians love so many things of the world. Oh, look what I got. Look what I got. Look, I got, <clears throat> I got the newest toy. You know, the problem with getting a new toy is a couple months later, a new one comes out. I got the latest computer. Well, ring-a-ding-ding for you. It sings, it dances, it whistles, it jumps up and downs, it subtracts, it adds, it tells me my age, my shoe size, my underwear size, everything. Yeah, in two months, I'll come up with a new one that's $2,000. And the next month, they'll come up with another one. It's never-ending. The things of the world now, again, balance, common sense. <clears throat> I'm glad you all got clothes on today because you'd say, well, bless God, Adam and Eve didn't have clothes. Yeah, but we're not in the Garden of Eden. We're in Maslin. So thank you for wearing clothes to church today. I mean, you could go idiotic about this stuff. Balance, common sense. Think of Jesus. Think of Paul. Think of the disciples. But they were separate. Separation also instills a dynamic for duty. The first century church was so effective because their testimonies validated their message. I think this is where we're losing it today in America. 
a little piece of the puzzle. In other words, our life doesn't match up with the words come out of our mouth. Not in every case, I understand that. But I think that's part of the problem because they say, why do I want to get saved? This guy doesn't live any different than me. He talks just like me. He looks just like me. He swears like me. Why should I get saved? He's no different. And sadly, say that's true sometimes. And then they say it to me, does so-and-so go to your church? It's, first of all, it's not mine, it's the Lord's. But I know what they mean. And I hate to say, yeah. And if they're bad, I might tell the person, well, they're wrong. So make sure you live right, because if your name comes up, I'm going to spill the beans. Now, I didn't say that any of us are perfect, including me. None of us are. But there's a difference between being not perfect and being, world, being separated from the world. We need to have a clear message and a clean life. The walk must match the talk if we have any power in our service for the Lord. You remember in the Old Testament a guy named Lot? I thought that was a strange name. Job Lot? On Lot? Job Lot? No, just Lot. Lot lived in Sodom. First he just pitched his tent toward there. He ended up living there. Then, remember when God said, I'm condensing this. God said, you know what? I'm going to destroy that place. And Lot says to his son-in-laws, my words, we better get out of here because God's going to destroy this place. And the Bible says these words. He, meaning Lot, seemed to his son-in-laws at one that mocked. In other words, he's telling them about spiritual stuff and he didn't live a spiritual life. It's that simple. So they're basically saying, what are you talking about, old man? You don't care about God and his word. What are you telling us to get out and you know what? They were right. We might use the word hypocrite. <clears throat> Somebody thought I was going to say hippopotamus. I'm not hypocrite. They knew Lutz's lifestyle. Do you know what? Your neighbors know your lifestyle. You don't have to communicate them every day. I don't talk to my neighbors every single day. <clears throat> now, if you do, it's good, and, and I'm working on it. But what I'm saying is they know your lifestyle. People that are around you know you work with you. They know your lifestyle. They know you. So worldly lot was trying to make a case against worldliness, and they weren't buying it. <clears throat> you know, if you find a man in quicksand, do we even have quicksand today? If you find a man in quicksand, you don't jump in the quicksand to help him. You have to stay out of quicksand to help him. Then you can help him. <clears throat> and wouldn't you say our world is in a mess of quicksand? Yes. Thank you, four people, and the rest of you agree. You just didn't say anything. <laughs> That's okay. The point is balance. <clears throat> and not to become a Pharisee. A Pharisee were a group in Jesus' day who were so intent on following the letter of the law to the point that one day they said to Jesus, Hey, <clears throat> and I'm paraphrasing, Hey, did you know your disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate? And Jesus didn't say, no, bless God, you don't need to wash your hands. I got hand sanitizer. <laughs> what did he say? I got some right here, by the way. I plan to use it. <clears throat> they were being spiritual gas bags. Now, Jesus didn't say, you don't need to wash your hands. Your mother told you to go wash your hands. Time to eat. Common sense. Common sense tells us you should wash your hands before you eat and maybe after. 
if you're messy. But what they were worried about was the outside only, not the inside. Remember, he even called them during his ministry whited sepulchers full of dead man's bones. What did he mean by that? A sepulchre, of course, was like a, we would say mausoleum today, and they would paint them white to make them look beautiful. They looked really beautiful on the outside, but they still had dead bones inside. He said, that's what you guys are like, you Pharisees. So don't become a Pharisee, go around checking everybody out. Oh, are you doing this right? Well, it's a full-time job to keep you right. And maybe you could pray for someone, but you think the Lord can straighten people out better than you or me? I've tried to straighten people out. Usually it doesn't work as pastor. The Lord, but I can pray the Lord straighten them out. No, you don't want that. You don't want the pastor praying for the Lord to straighten you out. I don't think I have any special power, but that's what I sometimes do. I say, Lord, I can't help this guy. He won't listen to me. This woman won't listen to me. They're yours. You straighten them out. Have a nice day. I'm moving on. So don't become a Pharisee. I've known Christian people that become Pharisees. Now, again, there's balance. The Holy Spirit will help. All saved people need to be separated. Separated from the world to the Lord. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment. Of course, you can't be separated until you know him as personal Lord and Savior. Do you know him as personal Savior? Are we separated? Father, speak to our hearts this morning and challenge each believer about this issue. Perhaps those who are not saved, they would see their need to trust Christ. Help us to all take this to heart and apply this so we might be like Paul. That we might by all means save some. We pray in Jesus' name with our heads bowed and the piano begins to play. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe God's spoken to your heart about something that's not even in the message. That's fine. I just gave the message and God has to apply it to hearts. I can't do that. That's not my business. Well, wait just a minute. Maybe the Lord's calling you to separation, reminding you. It's nothing new. These people in court, they need to be reminded. They knew it, but they need to be reminded of what separation is, what we should do. Well, wait just a moment. These at the altar, well, we pray. Maybe as you're listening at home, if it's your table or your living room, wherever you're at, maybe you can take just a moment, talk to the Lord, whatever it is, while we wait.